0: Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are here with us in this place, that we can worship you. We pray now, Father, that you would uh, bring your Holy Spirit upon us, that you would open our hearts to your word, that you would till the soil of our hearts uh, to receive you afresh at this table. We ask this in your name. Amen. I was thinking this week, uh, just reflecting on some of the things that were happening at the church and I know a number of you were able to come out to the Adult and Teen Challenge service on Wednesday night. And it was really, really good. It was wonderful to hear stories of God's transformation in people's hearts and how he was doing a real, a real work. You know, one, sometimes we can say that. It's kind of a Christian lingo of God doing a work in someone's life. And we know that. Um, for many of us, that's sort of a, a gradual thing. But in, in some people's lives, especially when they're first making that transformation uh, into fo- becoming a follower, a disciple of Jesus, there's it's often quite dramatic. And it was really neat to hear those stories of their encounter with God and how that was changing them. They were experiencing God's renewal and forgiveness, and it was impacting their lives. And I was take, thinking about that and thinking about how God takes us in our woundedness and in our own sinfulness and through the cross of Jesus transforms us and transforms our brokenness to be used for his glory. And that's what's happened in those lives of those ones who have been through uh, adult and teen challenge and God's continuing to do that work. And it's a good modern day example of what we see here happening in Saul's own life. Here is Saul, now come to Christ, the chief enemy of the church who is persecuting Christians with all sorts of zeal and passion and strategies. And then he has an encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And God now takes Saul and his failures and his own sin and forgives him and transforms that and takes Saul's passion and his zeal and his, uh, his mind. Saul's a, like a learned guy. He's kind of an academic guy. Uh, takes his intellect as well, and redirects those traits within Saul to be used for the kingdom of God. And that is God's heart for each and every one of us, that the ways in which he has made you are not just sort of uh, something on the side. They're an important part of who you are, but God also takes us, the wholeness of who we are, and and uses it for his kingdom. He's made you uh, just the way he wants you to be made, just the way he likes you, And who you are is an important part of what he calls you to be a part of in terms of his own mission in the world. God redirects those characteristics in our lives to be used for the kingdom of God. And so we find here in this passage, Saul is bringing uh, his fervor, his focus that he once used to hunt the disciples into his new life with Jesus. And he starts by declaring the truth about God. If you look... Uh, at verse 20 of chapter 9, immediately, immediately he shows up and starts proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. <laughs> and all who were with him were amazed. They heard him. They knew who this guy was, right? Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound? Isn't this the guy that brings in people we've captured? What's he doing, right? But Saul, verse 22, increased all the more in strength. And he's confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He's doing that by opening God's word to them and teaching them and preaching. Paul immediately begins talking about Jesus. And he goes to those who were fighting against the gospel. And at first it baffles them. They don't know what to do with it. And not long after, verse 23, it's motivated them to try and kill him. There's a dramatic confrontation that happens. He's turned from an old life, and that has created enemies. And somehow Saul learns about the plot, uh, that they're watching at the gates to try and kill him. And so, verse 25, the disciples took him by night, let him down through an opening in the wall in a basket, and he escapes. You know, sometimes it's those that were once closest to us that have the hardest time understanding what it means for us to follow Jesus. And here's Saul going back to the people that were his his friends, the people he worked with, the people that were with him in stopping the Jesus movement. And at first they're confused about what he's talking about, and then it turns to hostility. Sometimes... Those that know us before we came to Christ are baffled and surprised by the change he makes in our lives. And sometimes it leads to hostility. I remember uh, a, a, a mentor once telling me how sometimes it's actually our families, our, our close families, that don't, who are unsaved, who don't understand. And, and sometimes that's the most difficult ones to try to communicate with because there's a relationship there but then we're on such different pages because the foundation of who we are is shifted and what do we do in those moments well thankfully i think most of us don't have friends who are seeking to end our lives this is good but paul paul doesn't give up on them immediately does he he is trying to point them to the truth He continues to do that. We get the sense, verse 21-22, that he is doing that for some time until it riles them and he needs to leave. I think there's a call for us to engage well in those moments where we may have friends who don't know Jesus, friends who do know us fairly well, and rather than cutting them out of our lives just because we want to follow Jesus, we need to lean into those, uh, into those friendships and try to love them well. To seek to point them to Jesus well. It may mean a change in our own loyalties. You know, our focus is not in the affirmation of our peers or the lifestyle of our peers. It's in Jesus. But we're called to continue to love them and to listen to them and to live out the character of Jesus in tangible ways with those who don't understand the change that's happened in our lives. And that's the case here with Saul. His friends end up forsaking him, but, you know, God was planting seeds in their hearts as uh, Saul was teaching them. And in Saul's case, as his friends turn from him, we don't see Saul have a... Crisis of faith. He is under no qualms that he may lose friends because of his faith in Jesus. But he clings to Christ and to the truth rather than the pure pressure of his friends. Uh, and off he goes. And now he's, he's lost that original community of friends. You think about that for a second, right? In his transformation from being a persecutor of the church to now being uh, proclaiming Jesus, he's not yet a teacher. In many ways, but as he's making that transition he's he's losing an old community he's losing old friends uh, there's a cost to following Jesus right and he is they've turned their backs on him in many ways, but he is uh, he's losing out on that he's losing something and he still needs community he's human after all and so what happens after he loses this community we find that he wants to meet up with the apostles. He starts looking to connect with them in Jerusalem. And not as their persecutor, but as a fellow Christian. And that is the problem, right? Because Saul had once uh, breathed murderous threats, we say, uh, against the Christians. So how will they believe that this isn't some ploy, right? If you were trying to capture them it would be really easy to say, no, I've had a change of heart. Come on down to this address. We're all friends now, right? And you can understand why they might be hesitant to just jump in with Saul. Isn't this the bad guy, you know? He needs an advocate. He needs a bridge builder. He needs a new friend to vouch for him. We often talk about Christianity as a a relationship with the living God, and of course it is. But a relationship with God... And our faith in God also transforms every facet of our lives, including our relationship with others and our relationship with the world. And here, uh, Saul needs a transformation of community. He needs a new friend to come alongside him. He doesn't just need his faith in Jesus, though that's absolutely central, but it needs to also uh, grow into a new community for him. And just as Ananias uh, vouched for him when he initially came to faith, now we have uh, Barnabas show up to help vouch for him. He's lost his old friends. He needs someone to come alongside. And now Barnabas shows up. I was thinking about this in, in our own lives, is just how much we need good friends. It's easy to, to go about life just trying to kind of make it by on our own. And it's easier now than ever, I think, to, to neglect working on good friendships, to taking that time to invest in, in life with someone else. But it's really clear that Saul can't do this on his own. He needs friends. And Barnabas chooses to be a friend even when Saul hasn't yet really been much of a friend. Barnabas chooses to step up and come alongside Saul in this moment of, of brokenness, I'm sure, in many ways, as he's had his friends turn on him. And Barnabas is able to be that encourager and to give that compassion to Saul when he needs it. I was thinking in my own life, the times where I've had friends come alongside me when I've been really down, and how, how that has been the ministry of Jesus to me. You know, They have extended God's grace to me in those moments. And I was thinking too of the challenge of that, of this verse, to remind us that we are also called to extend this Barnabas-like encouragement to people around us, who are the people who are friendless that you are called to come alongside of, right? Who are looking for community and looking for Jesus, and you can be a Barnabas unto them. Again, I was thinking of of Les passing away and that loss in our own community and thinking about that we don't grieve without hope. That as much as Les was a friend to many of us, we are also reminded that he was a friend of God and he is in his presence. And we can come alongside Donna and the family and come alongside one, one another as we mourn Les' passing knowing that he's in the presence of Jesus and we'll see him again at the resurrection. But in this moment, uh, there is a need for comfort, need to come alongside those who mourn, right, to weep with those who weep, and we can be like a Barnabas to one another. As Barnabas does that friendship work in Saul's life, he's finally able to meet up with the apostles, and he continues to preach the word, verse 28 says, so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He spoke and disputed with the Hellenists. But then they are seeking to kill him. And when they learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Uh, amazing how much Saul later on will dominate the story of Acts, of course, as Paul. But at this point, Saul needs a lot of help along the way, doesn't he? From Barnabas to the other apostles trying to help him out. He's given... Uh, the friendship and the encouragement that he needs at a, at a difficult transition in his own life. And then he's sent off to Tarsus. And the, the story, if you just kind of look ahead in your Bibles, the story is going to shift back to Peter uh, and the Gentile mission, and then we'll shift back to Barnabas and to Saul in a few chapters. But for now, Saul sort of drops out of the story at this point. And even though he's huge later on, he's, he's sort of sent off and lays low, at least in the narrative, until things pick up in a little bit. And I think it's worth noting that Saul is not immediately elected to church leadership. He's got a lot of zeal. He's really gifted. He's even got one of those really dramatic testimonies, right? But he's not ready for leadership. And, and that's also true in the church, is that giftedness does not equal maturity. And zeal or passion or, or lack thereof sometimes aren't, are not the primary qualifications for leaders in the church. Often it's rather a call to character. And often that character is developed over time. And Saul is given that time. It's not that he's incompetent, but this is new to him. And it's worth noting that God does not immediately launch him into mission. There is a period of training and learning and development that takes place in Saul's life. I was uh, thinking about this while we were in Eston. There's a a contingent of the students at Eston who are really excited to go to Morocco, I think it is. And uh, to reach, there's a, like an unreached people group. And so they're really excited to go. There's like 10 of them to go and do missions and do evangelism work and, and reach the lost. And it's a really, really good thing. And they're really keen to do it. And I think that's wonderful that God has put that in your hearts. It's not in my heart at all, but I'm so glad that you want to go, right? That's, that's great. But I also wanted to encourage them in this. I, it said there's always gonna be opportunity for missions. It will always be there. There will always be a need somewhere for you to go and to make that, cha- that difference in people's lives. But you may not be in the place in your life to devote a few very short years uh, to studying God's Word and immersing yourself in that community and in that time and period of growth and maturity before you're sent out into missions. And I was thinking of, of Mary and Martha and how it's easy to be like Martha, right? To be busy with many, many good things, busy with work and busy with outreach and even busy with with things like mission or things like you know evangelism but jesus actually calls martha distracted and anxious because she's so busy doing good things that she's missed out on sitting at the feet of jesus and so i was encouraging some of our bible college students just saying don't get so busy doing missions that you neglect to sit at the feet of jesus while you have this chance here in college uh, to really grow in him and and to rest in him and to mature in your faith, and from that place of sitting at Jesus feet, we can then be equipped and formed to engage well in the harvest but don't don't rush this period. Um, let Jesus form you and shape you, and so that you can then extend his grace and hope. I think the same is true here of saul there's a there's a period of him uh, needing to grow. Uh, continue in what he's doing, but he's not launched immediately into leadership. Uh, he's being formed by God. I was thinking of Acts 2 as the disciples. What do they do after the day of Pentecost? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer. And as they devote themselves to the central things of the church, to the word, to community, uh, to meals and to the Lord's Supper and to prayer, to deepening a devotional life together, God multiplies the church. It's as the church uh, chooses to be the deep church to focus on those core things that God does the work of multiplication. And so we don't, we don't want to neglect the core parts of what it means to be a Christian for the sake of busyness. We want, to, we want to go deep as disciples and deep as a church. And as we do that well, God equips us Uh, to extend his grace and hope and to multiply his people. But we don't forsake the deepness of being a Christian for the mission of the Christian. And so I encourage them, don't, don't be so quick to run to Morocco that you miss out on what God wants to do here and now. And that's true in many of our lives. When we're facing transitions, we can be very, very concerned about what the next step in our lives will look like, what it'll be like. We want to uh, grow in Christ, that sometimes God calls us to just pause for a moment and to uh, lean into what he wants to do in a particular season before he sends us out. And that's, that's an encouraging word for us. I was thinking, just to wrap this up, that this whole passage is really about transition in Saul's life. It's a transition from one community to another, one way of living, where he's hunting disciples to now (laughs) trying to meet them (laughs) in civil ways, on common ground, right? Um, But there's a few things here for us to really take home. And and I think the first thing is that Saul's passionate about Jesus and he's willing to share that with his friends. And and may that be true of us, that we're willing to share our faith. The second thing is that Saul needs good friends along the way. Think of Barnabas. And may we be... uh, friends to each other as well and to those that need encouragement along the way may that be said of us as well and Saul for all that God had in store for him he needed time to learn and to grow into his new calling and may that be true of us as well that we take whatever season we're in the time to devote to resting and growing in Jesus Many of us are in places of transition. Sometimes it feels like transition is just about the only constant in life, doesn't it? Right? Things change. People come and go. And our health can come and go. Loved ones come and go. And in that transition, it's Jesus that's holding Saul in the midst of all the changes in his life. And may that be true of us as well. As we face transitions, as we undergo changes in our own lives, in our own health, in our own families, that we would lean into jesus and know his rest and his assurance of who we are as we seek to follow him even in the hardships and may we in- extend that warmth and encouragement to each other along the way so may we know the passion and the zeal of god and for the gospel may we be a community of encouragement in life and may we rest in god's timing as we navigate transitions in our own life knowing that Jesus holds us and keeps us and has good things in store for us. Amen? With that in mind, let's come together to the table. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning, that you are with us as we navigate changes in our own lives. Lord, we thank you for friends along the way that have encouraged us, and we pray that you would help us to be an encouragement to each other in this season sometimes around advent and christmas we're so much more aware of those who are not with us lord we pray that as many of us experience times of grief or just recognizing the losses in our lives lord that you would come alongside of us bring those around us lord who will encourage and help us to be an encouragement to others too we pray lord we pray this morning for loved ones in our lives who don't know you. We think of Saul trying to reach out to friends and to co-workers who he was once close with, who now disown him. And Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom and strength and love for those in our lives who don't know you. That you would give us grace, Lord, to navigate those relationships well. Jesus, as we come to this table, we are so aware that it's in you that we are nurtured and made alive. You're the one who gave your life that we would live. And we ask, Lord, today that as we uh, remember the cross and your resurrection, that you would encourage us and restore us, remind us, Lord, of who you are and what you've done. We ask this in your name. Amen. This morning, I'd like to read through just a, a series of, of prayers and scripture passages just to prepare our hearts for the table. And it starts off with a call to remember what the gospel is. And in a moment, there's time for us to just repent of our own sins and uh, to proclaim our faith together. And so there's going to be some, some portions that will show up on the screen as we move through this. But first, I want to remind us of God's character in the gospel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness god has shown his love for us that while we were still sinners christ died for us and by his suffering and death our sins can be put away and remembered no more for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord and his word says as we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so I'm going to encourage you to pray this uh, confession together. If you guys have that on the screen, let's pray this together. Most merciful God, I confess that I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I'm truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Friends, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And Psalm says this, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Amen amen let's stand together and we're going to confess our faith with the words of the apostles creed with brothers and sisters around the world and through the centuries i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth i believe in jesus christ god's only son our lord who is conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the... Oh, sorry. I'm reading the wrong spot, am I? (laughs) And the life everlasting. Amen. I got thinking about less partway through that. Lord, thank you. For the promise of the resurrection, hey? Mm. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you hold us through this life into life to come. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And giving thanks he broke it and blessed it, saying, This body is this bread is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. In the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you hold us in the struggles of our own lives and that through the cross and through your resurrection, we can know true life. Just as each day, Lord, we eat meals and are reminded that someone needs to give life for us to live, whether it's the animal we eat or the plants that give their life to sustain us. So, Lord, when we come to this meal, we recognize you lay down your life to sustain us, that it's only by you that we can truly live, that you feed us, Lord. And in you, we have new life, abundant life here and now, and life everlasting. And so, Lord, as we come to this table, would you remind us of your grace and your mercy, We think of loved ones who have gone before us. We thank you that we will see them again on that great day. Would you pour out your spirit upon us as we come to this table, we ask in your name. Amen.